Okay, you got that straightened out. That's fine. Yeah, we can omit next week. Uh, holiday weekend, perfectly fine. Last week we, we started on the Creed. Do you remember? I'd write it on the board, but the board's not there. I don't want to use the sheet. Um, Creed, or Credo, if you like the Latin, right? Uh, is a translation from the Greek. The late, some of you, those of you who are here remember, if you watch the video. Homo logao, which means to same say or to speak the same thing. Uh, usually translated in the Bible as confess, right? So we, we have that double meaning of confess. To confess, a lot of times it's just to say I'm sorry, right? Or to say uh, I'm guilty <laughs> before the judge, right? Uh, but that's, that's, on, that's telling the truth, but it's not, it's, that's not necessarily the only thing you could confess. You could also confess you know, what is good or right or true, right, in a broad sense. So that, uh, in the New Testament, we're, I think of that statement with Jesus, right? Whoever um, confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus Christ um, is Lord is saved, something like that. I'm paraphrasing, right? But there's the confession, so the same saying, and the believing, and the seed of belief is, is the heart in the Bible, all right? So we want to say the same thing together, um, but it's not by force, but it's by, uh, I would say, compulsion, well, compulsion of, of the word, actually. So we're compelled by the word to say what the Bible says. That's what faith is, right? I believe it, so I'm going to say it. Um, it's not always easy to do. Yeah, and we'll talk. That's actually the sermon today. All right, so last week we talked about the first article. And if you've got your catechism, you know, it's short. I believe, that's how it started. And I think I remember, mentioned last week that it was originally we believe. So it was corporate, um, but there's a... There was a helpful, uh, you're not saved by the faith of others, you're saved by the, by the faith given to you, right? That doesn't mean that we don't share the faith, but, but it's I believe, so you can say it privately or corporately. Um, and God, no problem there, lots of people believe in God or gods, right? But then the kind of remarkable statement, the Father Almighty, which implies that he has a son, or in, in your case, you say, I believe he's my father, so... That means I'm his child. Of course, we talked about how that becomes so. And you have to get to the third article for that, but we'll get to that. Um, almighty, all-powerful, would be another way to say that, right? Uh, which implies more than kind of the spaghetti, um, excuse me, the flying spaghetti mon monster. You know about this god? These are the Pastafarians. They wear the, the colander on their head. Oh, my gosh, no. Oh, you've never heard of the Pastafarians. So oh. You don't get out much? Well, um, they're making fun of religion is what they're doing, generally speaking, right? Or faith. So they, Pastafarians, like Rastafarians, which are also weird, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, I guess, Rastafarians' hair kind of looks like pasta. Anyway, and then um, the colander, of course. So you wear, like, religious apparel, and there's, for them, it's a colander. And then, of course, their god is the, the flying spaghetti uh, monster, I think. Something like that. There is a sign no, there isn't. But, but what they're <laughs> not really any more than people. Fun of people who like to believe in religion is so much fun, so they have to make up their own ridiculous one. Uh, right, but it's help. But it's helpful because uh, belief is is always has an object, right? So we don't just have faith, but we have faith in someone or something. Right? It's where we put our fear, love, and trust in the first commandment way. Um, and so what they're pointing out is that um, for some people, religion is just kind of, it, it just like gives them sense of meaning or purpose, but not because it actually has any goal or purpose in and of itself. It's just like, well, there's a higher power. So that means all, everything that's happening has a purpose or a reason for happening. So that's the reason for their belief. So it might as well be a flying spaghetti monster because, okay. you know. But that's not what we're saying. One that he's father. So there's actually a, a relationship, an ongoing relationship, not like a, a lot of uh, parenthood uh, in this world, fathers in this world that, you know, abandon their children or whatever, but actual. It's like the deity concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're saying, we're saying there's a lot more than that. Yeah. Okay. That's probably, oh, that's your son. He's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, he can. We've got books and things if you want. 
so it's not just enough to say that you were made, but, but what we're saying by Almighty is that, and, and Father together, is that he um, not only has begotten us, he's given us new birth, and that's through baptism, but that he's also, uh, there's the ongoing care of not only us, but all creation. So it's not just like he created things and then, but he, but he actually has an ongoing relationship to the whole, not only to us as believers, but also to the whole creation as Almighty. Um, so the purpose or the meaning is actually revealed to us in his word. He tells us why he made us and he tells us why he gives us faith. I mean, it's not, it's not this abstract idea that there's meaning or purpose. Because actually, I think if, if you were, I don't know, I look at the world and I'm like, it seems kind of arbitrary and capricious and things just happen and there's often no sense or reason to it, right? Like why the tornado there or why, why this person gets cancer or whatever it is, right? I mean, it doesn't actually seem to have meaning and purpose. Um, so abstract God, no. Uh, and then of course, maker of heaven and earth is another way of saying that he has that ongoing um, character. It's not just uh, the divine watchmaker was, is kind of a, a theory from... 200 years ago that really took off is the idea that there, yes, there was a God who set it in motion, like caused the big bang, right? But then stepped away. And now it's just ongoing processes that he kind of, that he put in place or he or she or whatever it, but they just kind of ongoing. And that's evolution, right? It's like, that's a mechanical process that maybe even like a law of nature. Um, So even, even the most radical, like atheist almost, but agnostic, will say there does seem to be order and, and law and, the, the, I mean, the sun keeps rising and the earth keeps spinning and the, like the speed of gravity remains constant like, for the most part. And, you know, so why is there all this like regularity if it were truly just a chaotic universe, right? So even, even that, that'll lead people to kind of an agnosticism, say, well, it seems to be there was a creator, but I don't know if there is one now, right? So that was the first article. Um, but as I said, father, you can't call God father unless he has a son or sons or daughters, right? And uh, the creed leads a, is leading you right into the second article, which is the next page, page 12 in your catechism, if you've got it, or whatever page it is. Uh, I believe, and actually, usually we just say, and in Jesus Christ, Right? His only son, so the father's only son, our Lord, all right, so we're going to have to define what that means, uh, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, which is already a remarkable statement, born of the Virgin Mary. That's problematic, right? Uh, (laughs) Why? These are not natural things. They are natural, but they're also unnatural, okay? Uh, Was crucified, past tense, died and was buried. Uh, he descended into hell, which is a little controversial, but not too much. We can talk about that if you want. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, which is, uh, we're in the season of ascension, ascension tide at the moment, one Sunday, and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from thence, and we leave the old King James there for some reason. I don't know why. We translate everything else to be like modern English, but then we leave from thence, <laughs> we do the same thing in the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven. It's like, what? Um, in the hymnal, I think they give you two versions, actually. One that's modern English. Nobody wants to use that. No, don't use that. My so friend was asking which version we do. Oh, yeah? yeah? I was like, oh, we're old school. Yeah, we're old school. I didn't yeah. even know there was a new one, so. But. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just a translation. What, how's, where's the hymn? There's no hymnal in here. Oh, this was the hymnal that introduced it, so it's probably in here. This is back when the church was trying to move in the more progressive direction. For better, for worse. Where did they, where did they put the Lord's Prayer in here? I really like that the new one. That's in the front. Oh, yeah, in the back cover? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get it right there. You think there's a Lord's Prayer in here somewhere? Oh, yeah, they give you two columns in this one. So it was our Father in heaven, hallowed be, well, it's still hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, you see, instead of thy, on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, not this day, but today. Forgive us our sins instead of trespasses, as we forgive those who sin against us. It's fine. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from it. It's our Father in heaven. I think I have it, Yeah, yeah, that's fine. It's just translation. But uh, 
Luther reminds us at the beginning of the small catechism, the preface, which I think in this copy, oh, it's actually at the front in this copy. In the synodical catechisms, it's at the back. <laughs> this make any sense. Why would you put a preface at the back? But uh, there's a line in here. Let me see if I can find it because it's to this point. Uh, oh, yeah, the last paragraph. It says, second, after they have well memorized the text of the catechism, then explain the meaning so that they understand what they're saying. So first we teach the words, then we explain what the words mean. First you learn the words, and then you learn what they mean. It's just like anything, right? Do so again with the help of the charts or some other brief uniform method of your choosing. Adhere to it and do not change a single syllable as said above concerning the text, taking your time with it. So you must say it above somewhere too. Don't change the words. I don't know where he said that. I always point this out to people because in 1986, they released a new edition of the catechism that changed the words. And then it drives me crazy because I, I learned it both ways. It's like, is it bear false witness or give false testimony? I can't remember which one it is. See, I confused the two right there. That was a joke, but it's kind of an intro joke for Barb, I suppose, and Marla. Because it's bear false witness and give false testimony. But yeah, anyway, that's the Eighth Commandment. All right, question? We can go back to Second Commandment. No, I was thinking Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I'm used to it. All right, so from thence. All right, that is from the right hand of the Father, he will come again. All right, so then Luther's explanation, um, and the explanation, again, these were written um, for the sake of children. We simply confess the creed, which was, I think we said, this creed was probably second century uh, in Rome. Its provenance is a little bit unknown, meaning it's where it came from. But we know it came out of the Church of Rome, and it was given to everyone who was baptized. So this is what they were taught to confess when they were baptized. I have a question about baptism. Okay. We haven't gotten to baptism yet, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So we would argue yes, but it's not direct. The texts are not, in, they're direct. It's by way of example. So you have like Cornelius, the jailer, and his whole family was baptized and presume he had children. We don't know. It said they were all men. The 3,000 were men. It doesn't talk about the baptism of their wife, women and children. But that number of 3,000 at Pentecost is the men. Yeah. Because so, you name a household based off of the head of the household. So that, that was the number of households that were present. How many people went through that day? It's like, you know, it could be same thing with the feeding of the 5,000. There were 5,000 men plus their women and children. Yeah. Their wives and children. Sorry, they're women. I'm sorry. I'm being chauvinistic here. Patriarchal. Sorry. Wow. So um, infant baptism, we'll talk about it when we get to baptism. It's mostly by way of uh, inference, I would say, and then example. So when we have a baptism, we always quote Mark. Um, is it Mark, I think? Where, um, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such belong the kingdom of God. And, and the, in that text of Mark, it's actually, the word is brephos, and it actually means like, not toddler, but smaller, like, like suckling infant or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're like, well, wait a minute. Jesus says, don't forbid the little children to come to him. And then here's baptism. Of course, you have to talk about where faith comes from. So we'll, there's a lot of uh, back backlog that we'll get to before we can talk about infant baptism, but it will follow based off of the other things we learned first, I think. So... All right, we'll see. It's heavy stuff, yeah. Second article, I believe that Jesus Christ, um, well, first we have to say what does Christ mean? Marla knows because she hears it in chapel all year. Yeah, Messiah is synonym. Messiah from the Hebrew, Christ is the Greek. It means anointed one. Anointed one. So anointed, people are anointed for very particular vocations usually in the, in the Bible. Now, in the New Testament, all Christians are anointed with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But in the Old Testament, it was particularly prophets, priests, and kings were those that were anointed. And of course, Jesus serves all three. He's the king. He's also the prophet, speaks God's word, and also priest. He serves us uh, with forgiveness of sins. So anyway, I believe that Jesus, Jesus, by the way, his name means, <laughs> sorry, we define every word here. What does Jesus mean? Yah. 
Yah saves, Yahweh saves. Yeah, God saves. Emmanuel is God with us, which is also a great word. It was in the chapter, um, which is also what's being confessed here. It's his name, Emmanuel. But um, this is an important note with Bible names. Bible names mean something. They're often named after the occasion or um, who the per- what the person is given to do. Elijah, studying with the children this week, same story. It means um, sent from God. You know, man, a uh, man sent by God. So, and he's a prophet. <laughs> he's the prophet. I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity. So he's um, not partially God, but he's 100% God. That's what that means. There are people that have thought, even today, um, Jehovah's Witnesses are like this. Is that he's kind of God and kind of man, kind of fifty-fifty, or sometimes God, sometimes man. There's that too, where it's like depends on which which hat he puts on. Yeah. Uh, whereas there, uh, we would confess he has two natures, and he's both at the same time, and they're joined inseparably joined now in the incarnation, meaning when he takes on flesh. All right. So begotten of the Father, not born, but begotten. That's a technical term. I know. <laughs> They're very careful with the creed. Uh, begotten means he, that he comes from the Father, but he's not born in the natural way. He doesn't come from the Father in the natural way. He's always been with the Father. He's always been of the Father. But there wasn't a beginning or an end. So it's different than being born, where there's a clear beginning, right? Where you're what conceived. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, the, the word there is monogenes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Ganeo is the Greek, so that doesn't help you at all, does it? No. Um, it's related to the word Genesis, that he has his Genesis in the Father, but, that, but, not, but not with beginning. So figure that out. Does it make sense? That no, doesn't have to make sense. It's what the Bible says about him. It doesn't matter. It's a sacrament. What's that? It's a mystery. Yeah, it's mystery. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, and this is important to note with the creed. I mean... Uh, why teach the children the creed? Well, you, do you find a definition? It, and that, um, it's like, give rise to mm-hmm. about. So that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I mean, you can only know Jesus. You can only know the, actually, Jesus does it the other way. You can only know the Father through him. The only way to know God as Father is through the Son, Jesus. But he says in John 14 to 16. Okay. Um, oh, what I was going to say about creeds, what we're trying to do with creeds is say what the Bible says, no more, no less. Now, that's a little challenging to do because words are sometimes, um, words, are hard. words are hard, right? Uh, and sometimes in the creeds, this, the, there are those that challenge this idea um, that we resort to really what are philosophical terms. They're not biblical terms. But like we use shorthand, like Trinity is a shorthand for God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's not in the Bible, but it's a pretty effective way of, it's a word that we can use that kind of gets us to the point. Anyway. All right. So same thing here. Begotten is that way. It's an insufficient word, but it's as good as we've got. From eternity, meaning from always. And also true man, not partially, not a little bit, but 100%. Born of the Virgin Mary, which already implies that his father is not an earthly father, right? But his father is from above. Uh, But also is born of an actual woman. And uh, unlike a lot of the uh, ivory tower monks of the Middle Ages, um, I think there's a lot of disagreement about this point. But if you came from Rome, Roman Catholic um, Church, they say that he was... um, not born in the natural way. So that he, like, and Calvinists do this sometimes too, that he just passed through the uterine wall and just appeared. Hey, it's a baby. <laughs> well, because she remained a virgin. See? So if she remains a virgin, then he can't come through the birth canal. Oh. <sighs> They're missing, yes. The, like, these are, these are celibate men <laughs> trying to figure things out. And you're like, let me explain to you a thing or two here. But anyway. <laughs> No, I, I think it's actually, if not essential, it's certainly very helpful to confess that he was born in the, in the same way. That's why I don't like the hymn that no crying he makes. I don't like that line. It doesn't make any sense to me. What do you mean he's not crying? He's a baby. He's hungry. I mean, is he truly man or not? This is why babies cry. 
or they they're colicky. You know, they're uncomfortable. It's but. just a sweeter lullaby. <laughs> it makes you feel. It's so it's sentimental. Sweet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so sweet. Oh, he was born. She had no pain. She didn't even know. It's just this like, ah, oh, there's a baby. You know, like all the stories in the tabloids where the baby's in the toilet. There are times that babies don't cry. Okay, fair enough. Not in the scripture, speculation. All right, so true man though, born, born in the same way as us, um, experiences everything that we experience, right? Even suffers the way we suffer, cries over the death of his friend, Lazarus, you know, um, pain, misery, all of that, even death. Um, but then it says, is my Lord. And that's really what Luther thinks is the emphasis of that first clause. And what does it mean that he's the Lord? What is a Lord? Ruler. Yeah, ruler, master, I guess Above you could say. You. What's that? Above you. Above you. And I think you have to remember that in the Old Testament, um, God is often called Lord or Adonai in Hebrew. Um, but they also use the word Adonai to substitute for the divine name. The Yahweh is how we say it as Protestant people. But, you know, the divine name, the four-letter name that they never pronounced, instead of pronouncing his na- the name that was given to Moses at the burning bush, they substituted in Adonai. So they would read Y-H-W-H in transliterated, and they would just say Adonai. And so when you have, we, I pointed this out, I think, to you before, maybe not. In the English Bibles, when you see Lord in all caps, that's what's happening there. It's It's... Lord being substituted for the name, the divine name. So even modern uh, translations try to um, keep the tradition, I guess, of like, let's not pronounce the, because the name's not pronounceable. It never had vowels put in. It was only consonants. Okay. Yeah. And then the vowels were added by 18th century, 19th century, uh, excuse me, 19th century, I think. Maybe it was 18th. Uh, Protestant people said, we, need to, we should be able to pronounce the name. So then they made up, they took the vowels from Adonai and they put it into the, Yahweh, and they created up this Yahweh thing. All right, so now you know. Thanks, because... You never knew? I'm not sure that I ever knew. Yeah. Yeah, so when you see it in translation, and it's all cap, Lord, uh-huh. that's the Y-H-W-H word. Or Yoda, hate. Well, you don't care about the Hebrew letters. All right, so what does it mean that he's Lord? All right, uh, or king, or ruler, or... Master, or even God, and all of that actually really put together. Hmm. Yeah, he does care about you. I think caregiver probably is a better word assigned to the spirit, because he calls the spirit, the paraclete, the comforter. So how does he care for us? By his spirit today in his church, through his word, sacrament. Yeah, so he does care for us, but, he, but that care is extended through his spirit. And by the way, when we talk about Father, Son, and Spirit, we talked about this last week, I think, it's, we, we separate the persons, um, or we distinguish the persons, but we don't want to separate them. It's like we distinguish between church and state, but they're not separate. There's always both, right? They're, they're, they're distinguished as far as their role goes, but actually we confess from the scripture they're both given by God, and they're both for our good. Right, which is a hard thing to believe sometimes when the state is uh, the way it is. Or sometimes when the church is the way it is. <laughs> it's hard to believe as well. Same thing with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're, they're distinct, and yet they're not separate. They're, it's one God. He's one God. Again, just saying what the Bible says. Makes a lot of sense. Not particularly. <laughs> we do try to diagram these, and I'd show you on the board, but I don't, I, now I'm just lazy and I don't even want to use it. Now that I went and found that in the workroom. Um, you'll see it with like the triangle. And then sometimes there's intersecting circles on top of the triangle. Right? I think that's on our green pyramids. So you'll see it all summer for the most part. Right? So you've got each circle representing a person, but, they're, but it's like the, the Venn diagram. Right? And then, but there's a triangle because they're distinct, but they're also, I don't know. Yeah. Shamrock, you know, with uh, St. Patrick is another. He liked to think of, you know, the three-leaf clover. It's one clover, but it has three leaves, that kind of thing. The apple one really bothers me, but... (laughs) Yeah, but it's the same idea. Three distinct, you know, parts, but yet one apple. All right. Um, I think it's less distinguishable than an apple, actually. But that's another story. 
All right, who has redeemed me? This is how he's Lord, by redeeming me, uh, which, <laughs> what does it mean to be redeemed? I'm sorry, we have to go through every word. Where are we? We're in the second paragraph of the explanation. What is redemption? We still use that word very rarely, but if you get a gift card, right? Or a coupon. Do people coupon still? I don't know. Okay, well, you, you all would know. I, you know, look at me. I don't go for the deals. I don't shop. No, not mostly. Redemption is to take something, um, take something that has. How do you want to define this? Actually, I was going to say take some. But only when, what? When only when you give it to somebody to get mm-hmm. something. Yeah. So. Um, the background for redemption, like the first story in the Bible that really illustrates it and uses the word, um, is the story of Ruth. So you know Ruth yeah. and her mother-in-law Naomi, right? They're back in Bethlehem. It's a nice name. We had a cat named Ruth. She died. Um, <laughs> she was our first pet. It's a great story. I mean, that, that's the whole story. 12 years, 14 years, whatever it was. So... <laughs> Um, Ruth and Naomi are both widows and they're in Bethlehem, but because they're widows and they have no husband, um, Naomi's property that belonged, well, it's not Naomi's property, the property that belonged to her husband, uh, what was his, her husband's name? Elimelech? No. Um, I just lost Naomi's husband's name. He's dead. He's dead. He is in the story, but at the very beginning, he dies right away. Then her two sons die, because normally inheritance goes to the sons, right? Firstborn and then secondborn, or both, um, actually. And then, but they're dead, too. And so it leaves, they have, so there's a widow, and then her daughters-in-law are both widows as well. And the one goes back home um, to Moab, and then Ruth goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem, because she, she says, I, I'm, I'm going to be with you. Now, being a single woman in that world is... Not only dangerous, but you're left all alone. This is why the Bible is so concerned about widows and orphans. Orphans is obvious. They have no parents. But widows, because they have no husband or son, generally. And so they, they would resort to the manners of making money that women do when, I guess. I mean, there, there's not a lot that they could do. They'd either be a beggar or, or sell themselves into slavery or any, of any sort. So um, this, is a big, this is a big problem. Um, but Boaz, interesting story, right, sees uh, Ruth gleaning in the field. This is what they would do because they were commanded to leave um, the edges of the field, like whatever grain falls to the ground, just leave it so that the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the other poor would come and could pick up from that and have food. So this was part of God's command um, for his people. But what, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You just you know, leave some for the poor. Well, they'd still do the work, yeah, which is actually better than welfare. Yeah, obviously. Um, work requirement. There's a work requirement for that. Yeah, yeah you have to cook at it. You have to cook at it. You don't You don't just get stamps. Or now it's just a debit card. Yeah, it's just a debit card. Um, Boaz sees her, um, has compassion on her, and apparently she's attractive, too. Well, she's exotic. She's from Moab. So, you know, exotic women are always attractive, I suppose, to those Jewish men. Um, it, it happens repeatedly in the Bible. And, uh, and eventually he brings her, he wants to bring her into his home along with Naomi, which all of this is like not common. The, the problem is in the story is that the nearest kinsman or, bro, or you know, family member to the deceased husband, whose name is see, Naomi's husband. The nearest kinsman to that person does not... Initially, when Boaz comes before the, the council, the elders, and says, there's this property that's been left fallow because there's nobody to inherit it, they don't just steal it. It's left fallow. And then and he, said, he confronts the guy who would be the next in line. He said, do you want it? And he's like, yeah, I want the land. And he's like, by the way, if you get the land, you also get Naomi and Ruth. You have to take Ruth as your husband, and you get, get her mother-in-law or the deceased's wife, because that's part of the rule. If you want the deceased person's property, you also get their wife as your own. And you raise children for the deceased as if they're 
that person's children. And they take on their deceased father's name, even though they weren't, they're only from their mom. And not from, it's a way to maintain the family tree. Yeah, he's very sneaky. And the guy's like, oh, no, I don't want to mess up my inheritance, the whole family thing I've got going on, by having a whole other lineage, right? So, uh, and who wants two women for wives? Oh. <laughs> like, that's a part in the Bible. All that right, just, I'll work it off. Oh, come on. <laughs> so, um, so he says, no, 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 no. And so then what, what Boaz does is, um, it's this weird sign, but it's with the sandal. He takes off the sandal. And the sandal shows that he is uh, paying the, the price that's required um, for that land, which is actually to take um, the deceased, take the, these women into his own home and then bear children for him as well. So that's actually part of Jesus' family tree, is Boaz actually maintaining that family tree for, yeah. Yeah. So the redemption is to get that, to get, in order to get, the, he doesn't want the land. He doesn't really care about the land. He apparently, he seems like kind of a, actually a pretty wealthy guy, but, but he has compassion for, for Ruth and actually, and she also entices him. There's a whole part yeah, of the story whatever. there. She, she, seduced him. she did seduce him. Yes, she does. But it's cool. But it is cool. Yeah, oh, it's, it's a love, it's a love story. It's a love yeah. story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the love is both, you know, obviously, um, the kind of, you know, aerospace love, but it's also, um, you know, she loves. She's, she has, she has compassion, he has compassion for them as well. Right. So then he dies with then her children. Her son, her son inherits. But yeah, they're brothers of a sort. They're half brothers. Yeah. You see this all and this, the family trees are not always easy to untangle. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's what it means to redeem, to, to buy back something that's been left abandoned, fallow in the Bible anyway. And to pay the price that's necessary to, to, for it to be yours. So he needs a kingdom because he's a lord, right? And that means he needs royal subjects. And, his, and you are that, the royal subject. But how does he actually redeem you? What, is he, what price does he pay? And, and actually, who, where are you abandoned? Or, you know, well, that, we're talking about sin, death, and devil. That's, that's what you need to be redeemed from, the false kingdom. So you are a lost and condemned person. Right? Just like that fallow land. Did you figure out who it was? Naomi's husband? Yeah, Elimelech. Elimelech. Huh? See, my first guess was right. Oops. Um, you are the lost and condemned person who needs to be redeemed. And he purchases and wins you from sin, all sins. So he pays the penalty that sins deserve, which, by the way, were imposed by the Father. So he's paying the purchase price to himself. No, to the Father. But yes, God himself does... He saves. He makes the demand. He makes the requirement. He, he sets up the penalty, and yet he also is the one who pays the penalty. So the entire salvation, if you like, project is God's and God's alone. And we, we are the beneficiaries. We receive. Make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, we'll come back to it. Uh, redeems you from sins, from death, and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver. This is just quoting First Peter. Um, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. So that's the demand that was required in order to redeem you from sin, death, and the devil. That's the penalty price that has to be paid. It'd be kind of like, um, uh, like a ransom, right? That's another language the Bible uses. You know, uh, when we quote it in the hymns, like what, what cost um, our ransom, or what is it, something our ransom cost him. What price our ransom cost him, maybe is how the hymn goes. So ransom, right? You make the penalty to get them back, pay the price to get them back. I was like, well, wait a minute. Why is God paying sin, death, and the devil? Well, because sin, death, and the devil are actually, they're in service to God as well. Oh, now, see, now I said something that you're really confused by. Maybe. You have heard this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we said that God was almighty, that means he also has power over sin, death, and devil. They're under his control as well. And we think of death as like this interminable force that, that nobody can control. And yet the Bible is very clear. Like um, Job, God gives, or the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Who's the one who gives life? The Lord. Who's the one who takes life? The Lord. Yeah. So um, death is his to give. And also, suff um, what was the other one? Oh, uh, power of the devil, right? Um, the devil's been defeated, meaning 
actually. He was already defeated even before. But you see this in the story of Job. You know the story of Job? Another fun Old Testament story. Because um, it has a dialogue between the Lord and, and Satan. And the devil asks, hey, can I afflict this, your servant Job? Because he's very faithful. And I bet, I bet if I make his life miserable, he'll, he'll reject you. And God says, okay, <laughs> go and afflict him. You're like, what? And eventually, it's like t- it takes like everybody's life except for his wife, right? His home, his, all his animals are, are die. And he also is afflicted in body. Only, the only thing that's kept from Satan is death. That's the only thing he can afflict Job with, is death. Of course, because only the Lord can do that. And uh, yeah, so all of it is, un- but it's all what's really remarkable about the story. All of it's under God's direction. Yeah, it's Satan's idea, but God says, okay, and allows him to do it. Like, woo, that's a little intense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but what, what is God doing? He's using all that for the sake of faith. That in the end, Job's faith is not diminished, but it's strengthened, even as he suffered through that. And, and God restores everything to him as well. Um, right. Um, no, double. Double, but, uh, and, and that's literal in the text. For us, I think it's definitely a picture of the resurrection, right? Yeah. Yeah, everything's restored to us finally on the last day. The reason why he takes everything from him is because those are all the things that we trust in. Wealth, power, our health, our family, our property, you know. And so then all those are taken from him because those are all the false gods that we set up. Sometimes we give them names and make little statues, but generally speaking. All right. Good. Innocent suffering and death. Um, So it has to be the guiltless for the guilty. You can't pay the penalty price if you are with guilt yourself, then you would have to die. But can you die for your own sins? No. Somebody. And so in the Old Testament, this is set up. You see it all through um, with sacrifices. So you have bulls and goats and pigeons and turtle doves and, you know, these things are being sacrificed over and over and over. And their blood is being shed on the altar to atone. For, oh, I forgot about goats, sheep and goats for the sins of the people. But over and over and over, like, is there ever uh, enough blood to cover for all their sins? No, it doesn't seem to be. Um, that's what, uh, actually I have a hymn that goes, that's nice, quoting the psalm. No, uh, not all the blood of beasts and bolts, bulls on Jewish altars slain. That's the tune. It's a new hymn, so that's why I don't know the lyrics. New with this, the new hymnal. Uh, but whereas Jesus' blood, because he is fully innocent, because even the animals weren't innocent. I mean, we like to think of animals as innocent, the same way we like to think of infants as innocent. <laughs> Speaking of infant baptism. Um, but I know, I know babies to be greedy as well. So, Yes, they need to be fed, but they're also sometimes just like, I just want to make your life miserable, Mom. All right. <laughs> just uber demanding. Right? And so what's the purpose of his redeeming? that last paragraph, that I may be his own, right? So it's for your benefit. It's not just for some abstract idea. Oh, look at, you know, Jesus does this great sacrifice. So now we all need to make sacrifices like Jesus did. No, that's not what it's about. Um, That I may be his own and live under him in his kingdom. Notice that's present tense, that we, we live under his kingdom now. It's not just a future, but it's present. And serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Uh, which we don't have of ourselves, just as he has risen from the dead and lives and reigns to all eternity. This is most certainly true. So the idea behind Jesus suffering and dying for you is actually to make you part of his kingdom. That's good, right? But what does it mean to be part of his kingdom? It's that you already live now in the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That's already yours now. Now, it's true that there's also, a, we receive it now by faith and we won't see it like, See it with our eyes until the last day. But it's already yours. The Bible, the New Testament in particular, after the resurrection, they don't really seem to be all that concerned about what day of the week it is. Because every day is the resurrection day from there on out. So each day is the Sabbath. You saw that. We talked about that with the third commandment. We don't have a specific day. It's like every day can be lived in God's word. Should be even. So um, you are his own. Um, that's a that's a fixed promise. <laughs> it's not a conditional, right? 
uh, meaning like if you do this, then this, conditional statements. Those are the way of the law. This is all gospel, right? It's good news. You are his own. Well, even when? Yes, even when. Right? This is one of the beautiful things that we're getting out of, I, think, I hope, getting out of studying uh, the book of Ezekiel, which we do after church. Because it's, um, no, it is beautiful. Because um, we find out that the people, uh, it, Ezekiel's brutally honest about the, the sin of, of Israel. And we're Israel, of course. Right? And the kinds of sins that they commit. And how much, how much they've rejected God and his word. Right? And yet we, all, we keep hearing hints, and it'll be, it's much more rich at the end of the book. But we still hear hints at the beginning that despite all of that, God doesn't forget them. I will bring them back, he says. You're like, well, look at all the terrible people. Why don't you just go pick a new people? <laughs> well, there is no other. I mean, who else are you going to pick? Everybody's terrible, at least in terms of faith towards God, right? So he redeems them. He does everything for them. So when he says, serve him, you know, I think you might take hold of that and say, well, that means I need to do things for God, which is true, right? But what is it? To serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. All right, so righteousness, you do right, right? Now that you're Christians, you all do right every day, right? Right? And you're innocent. There's nothing, nothing, nothing that we could declare guilt, you guilty for. Right? You didn't even speed on your way to church. Because uh, you were running late. Um, or, and blessedness. That's givenness. So even our... You, just, you, ran, you blew a stop sign? What? Oh, no. Yeah. Tabs all of them. Also the ones at the railroad tracks, apparently. Like, it's kind of a wrong. I don't hear a train. Someday that's going to not be. They'll, they'll forget to blow. Da, da, da. It'll be a catastrophe of errors. You okay? You're just tired. So but what, what you want to note here is that the righteousness that you serve him um, in is actually Christ's righteousness. It's his right doing. The innocence is the declaration of forgiveness of sins in his shed blood. The blessedness is the giving that he gives. So even, even the service in his kingdom is given to you by him. Um, we talk about this in a number of different ways from the, from the scriptures, right? Uh, the fruits of faith, for example, right? Um, we talked about this when we talked about the church way back, however many weeks ago when we started, right? is that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of the bread and the prayers. So those are the gifts that Jesus gives to create and sustain faith. Um, but then they also then collected you know, from their surplus and distributed to those who had need. Right? They, they showed love for one another, charity, which is a fruit then, we would say, from, from receiving from Jesus forgiveness, then they also lived in, in a life of forgiveness, a life of love for one another, as Jesus had loved them. But that's, that's givenness, that's blessedness. That's another way of saying givenness. I use givenness because people hear blessed and they're like, I don't know what blessed means. It means to be given to. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, there's a place in the Bible that says that God has prepared mm. for us to do. Yeah, Ephesians 2, verse 10. So then, to quote it. Yeah. I mean, so then we should be looking for or doing mm. yeah. His will all the time. I mean, uh, yeah. serve Him. I would say, the, from my experience, I mean, maybe yours is different, but generally it's uh, not rejecting the opportunities that he sets before you. I don't have to... Yeah, but I don't, I don't have to look for opportunities. I just have to say, I'm going to do it because, because God's obviously set this before me. Right? But for a long time, you know, like in my personal experience, I was like Jonah, right? I did not want to go to Nineveh, <laughs> not want to be a pastor. I didn't want to do that. I'm not given to do that. I'm not going to be good at it. And there's obviously I'm not perfect at it. That's a false kind of expectation to say you're going to be a perfect teacher or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, you're going to be the teacher that the Lord gives you to be. That's, that's the point. But if he's called you, I mean, I think you know, um, or he makes it known to you, right? And you say, yeah, I'm going to do that thing. Right. And there's other opportunities, too. Um, but where you where you say no to the opportunity is where the conscience gets involved. And you're like, ah, I really should have done that. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's kind of a that's tricky business, I think, a little bit. So that is like, is that essentially God telling you that, like, you should have done it? Yeah. 
Yeah. And so what do you do? You, you confess and say, I'm sorry, Lord. Um, I missed that, missed that opportunity. Uh, next time, you know, um, Next time, tell me this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, and again, I was asking, can you please put a billboard in my front yard? That's what I'm supposed to do. It's not a cardinal passing by. I don't get those kind of. No, and I—that's important. That's the. That's I think that's where Barb's driving at too. Is that sometimes it's not clear, uh, and it's God has given you. I would suggest just the freedom um, to live without fear. You know, to do as, as he compels you, to look for opportunities. Yeah. I mean, if, you've, if you're retired, for example, you say, you know, sometimes the opportunity finds you, right? Where it's like, well, no, I have someone I have to care for, right? I mean, that, I don't get to pick. <laughs> it's not really, there was no choice, really. It's, yeah. And sometimes I think you, you're like, you know what, I have, some, I have some free time. You know, I'd like to put that to good use, right? And then you can pick some opportunities. Well, it, it kind of came to me that way. Because the president of the LWL mm-hmm. uh, asked me to serve in a position, and I'm right. like, I can't do that. Right. True. And then three yeah. other people are like, why not? <laughs> you, you're doing yeah. it already. And I'm like, well, this is important. Okay. This is a really this is a really important point when it comes to um, vocations or callings. Um, is that from what I think the New Testament teaches, is that they're always external. That doesn't mean you can't have an internal kind of call, but I've had internal callings to like go work in Hollywood, but Hollywood said no, <laughs> and, and other people said no, and my wife-to-be said no, right? And it's like, okay, so as much as I'd like to go do that, and I certainly could have, it's like, and then I also had some personal reluctance as well. And I think that's important then for us, too, mm-hmm. that if we see a talent in someone, yeah. to let them know that. Right. This is because sometimes you don't have a clue that's what you're really doing yeah. until someone else says, you know, I noticed this is what you're doing really well at. Right. I think you should continue to do it. Yeah. yeah. Encouragement is one thing. I mean, I think, you know, as pastor, it's a, it's a little bit, um, you know, there's another, there's another side to it where I don't, I don't want to make it seem as if it's a law or it's under compulsion or a requirement. Right, so it's encouraging to say, have you considered doing this? We'd like to have you. Or this would be, you know, you have this skill. Could you help us out with this? But at the same time, like, I'm not going to badger the men to come and take down the TV. Right? I mean, I'm going to remind and give them opportunity. But I, they're not under, under any more obligation to do it than I am or any, anyone, right? I mean, it's a, it's a need of the congregation. Um, but it's a little bit different than, I'm looking, I'm sorry, I'm looking at you, Marla. But I mentioned Jerry. You're right, than, than Jerry in the home. Because they're there's a vocational responsibility, but even then, you know, to be, you know, to be a wise woman is to not, you know, to be a little bit more coercive, um, so, uh, coercive in a subtle way. We'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's no, because there's, yeah, there's no, there's no good from that, right? It doesn't actually benefit. And probably once the work is done, there'll be joy to say, look, I completed this thing, and now my wife's happy, and you know, it's good. Before that, I was reluctant because I'm just an idiot, but you know. Yeah. So, so there is a there is a strange dynamic because we're dealing with sinners as much as they are saints, and so we're speaking to both at the same time always, right? So sometimes compulsion is necessary, um, but I, for me that that's that's only preparation to be re- then received as a gift, um, and you can only do so much with coercion, and law and requirements. You know this with children, right? It, the rules, you can just keep adding more rules, but at some point then it's just like, what are we doing here? Let's go back to, you know, back to ground zero. All right. I think that's that. Mm. Yeah, I could say a lot more about that, but I'll keep it for Bible study later because it's involved with what we're talking about there. So uh, let's see, any other aspect of the second article did we not cover? Whew. He was a baby, born. Did we say that? Yeah, I think we said that. Um, but he, oh yeah, I said you could ask me about that. You do love that. Yeah, it's a little bit controversial because it's not well attested to. So it's only in the Apostles' Creed. It's not in the Nicene Creed because it was somewhat disputed. It's in there's a, a little bit of a reference in First Peter, where it says that he went to preach to the souls who were in prison who had formerly not obeyed. Um, and then also, and basically that's quoting from Jude. Remember, it doesn't even have chapters. It just has verses. It's a very short book. 
just chapter or just verses. Um, Jude talks about the same thing. So it's basically those two. And so because of that, then there's a lot of disagreement as to what why Jesus descended into hell. No, no. Well, and by the way, it's not three full days anyway, right? Figure out the timeline. He descended into hell would have been on after he died, right? When did he die? After? In the morning. On Friday in the afternoon. And then he's buried before Saturday starts, which is on Friday night for us. So then sometime during that Saturday, if you like, He's doing the descending thing, and he's rising before sunrise on Sunday, which begins on sunset on Saturday. So it's on the third day, not after 72 hours. Just, sometimes people get confused about that, so it's worth pointing out. Some, maybe, yeah, sometime in there. It doesn't really matter. It, it is t- attested to by the apostle, right, by Peter. And, uh, um, and First Peter is canonical. Nobody's disputed whether that book is, belongs in the Bible. So... So we're just saying what Peter says and like, but the way Peter presents it is Jesus is going with his, it's usually pictured this way in art. He's going with his battle banner, right? The standard. And he's going to declare, I've won, I've defeated sin, death, and devil. But of course the problem is, is he's going to declare that to those who disobeyed, which is like, okay, is he, and then, so then there are some that call this the harrowing of hell, where he goes to hell and he brings out he says, I forgive you too. And he brings them out because they didn't know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So there's always problem with speculation. You like the idea, but it's not in the Bible. So we don't want to say that. Yeah. We don't like ideas that aren't in the Bible. We like them, but we don't, we don't want to say that. Um, yeah. So um, I like to, I like to go and say, you just went and give the devil the, the finger or something like that. No, you just went and say, ha, huh, look, I defeated, I defeated you and all the satanic court. Yeah, guess what? I was actually God. There, there is one other aspect to that that's important to note, because um, I mentioned the harrowing of hell, like bringing out the souls in prison, but also there's the opposite, where there's people who say that that's more of his suffering, that his suffering on the cross wasn't sufficient, that he had to go and suffer the pangs of hell as well. Yeah. So yeah. We say that's, we actually say his descent is part of his exaltation. It's part of the resurrection. It belongs with the resurrection, not with the crucifixion. But there are uh, reformed. They, they attach the descent into his crucifixion. And they say it's more suffering until the resurrection. Right. But, but again, that's speculative. It's not in the Bible. So yeah, thanks for asking about that. Ascension, we'll talk about a little bit today. So we can talk about more about that in church. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.